hold me fast even now as I dare to preach your word this morning. You know how unworthy I am to be your servant and to even preach your word is all grace, all mercy. It is only by the power of the Holy Spirit that I will accomplish anything of use this morning. Namely, my aim is to give you all the glory and honor as you deserve. So help me now, Holy Spirit, to preach the word in love. My love for your glory to be revealed among all the nations and in this church and also for my love for the people that you have placed here in Makakilo Bible Church. It is an honor to serve along with them. So be with me now, O oh God, for the sake of your glory. I ask all these things humbly in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen. It is my honor and great privilege to stand before you this morning to preach the word of God. Turn with me now as we study his word, 2 Timothy, chapter 4, we'll read from verse 5 through 8. As for you, always be sober-minded, endure suffering, do the work of an evangelist, fulfill your ministry. For I am already being poured out as a drink offering, and the time of my departure has come. I have fought the good fight. I have finished the race. I have kept the faith. Henceforth, there is laid up for me the crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, will award to, award to me on that day, and not only to me, but also to all, who have loved his appearing. This is the word of God. May God bless the reading and the preaching of his word this morning. Now, before we get into the text, the today's topic has to do with salvation, and we need to know what salvation is. How does salvation happen for all of us who are in Christ Jesus? The Bible speaks of salvation like this. For you have been saved. So there's three different tenses, right? There's a past tense. So you have been saved. And there are other scriptures that says you are being saved in the present tense. And of course, there's the third tense where the scripture says you will be saved. So the question is, which one is it? And the answer is, of course, all of it. So how does that work? As you guys know, it is written in the scripture that before the foundation of the world, before anything was created, our names are written in the book of life before creation. So that's what it means that you were saved, even before you were born. We have a word for that, and that is called election, right? That's why all the elect are saved. God knows who the elect are, and their names are written, no question. And how does you are being saved, the present tense work? Well, there's another name for that. It starts with an S. It's called sanctification. So the fact that your names are written in the book of life shows that you will be sanctified by the word of God, and you're going to see fruits in your life where your life speaks for itself, that you're changed. You're no longer the same person that you were before you came to know Christ. And there's evidence of that. You are being saved, and that's the evidence. And finally, the last part, you will be saved. And there's another word for that. It starts with G. Anybody guess? Glorification. And today, we're going to be speaking of two things here, the present tense and the future tense. You are being saved. How do you know? We're going to read today. We're going to study today. And, of course, glorification. There's absolute proof that when you meet Christ, the judge, he will say the beautiful words that we all want to hear, that Paul heard, well done, my good and faithful servant. Enter into 
your master's joy. Now, before we get into the text, I want to give you a background, the context of the letter that Paul wrote to Timothy, the second Timothy. The letter second Timothy was written shortly before Paul's death in 67 AD. It was written by Apostle Paul, of course, while in prison in Rome, awaiting his imminent execution. Persecution against Christians had greatly increased during the reign of Nero, who was the emperor of the Roman Empire from 54 AD until 68 AD. It was during this time Apostle Peter was martyred as well by the hands of Nero. As persecution against Christians continued to increase, many, many began falling away from their faith. And this was a great concern for Paul, obviously. And I'm going to give you, you don't have to turn, where Paul talks about people departing from the truth. 2 Timothy chapter 1, verse 15, Paul says, You are aware that all who are in Asia turned away from me. Can you imagine all who are in Asia turned away from me? Among whom are Phygelus and Hermogenes. 2 Timothy chapter 4, verse 10. For Demas, Demas was one of the fellow workers of Paul, and his name is mentioned in two books, in two letters that Paul wrote. And Paul says, Demas greets you, my fellow worker. But he, for Demas, in love with the present world, has deserted me and gone to Thessalonica. Finally, 2 Timothy chapter 4, verse 16, Paul says, At my first defense, no one came to stand by me, not even one, but all deserted me, may it not be charged against them. So this persecution is dispersing many Christians and causing them to lose their faith, forsaking their faith. And this is a big concern for Apostle Paul and his concern about Timothy as well. So he's writing this letter. At this point, you might be wondering, right, how severe was the persecution? Just how bad was it? I'm glad you're thinking these thoughts because I have an answer for you here. So there were three main methods of torture and execution for Christians during the Neronian persecution. And maybe some of you are familiar with this. Number one, many Christians were simply thrown into a pack of wild beasts like lions, leopards, wild dogs, just to name a few. So they were eaten alive, one of the worst ways to die. Their flesh was torn apart from them until they died. That would cause Christians to lose their faith. Number two, many Christians were crucified. As we all know, crucifixion was one of the most painful, long, drawn-out torture and execution ever known to men. Thereby, we get the word excruciating. Have you guys ever used that word before to describe your ailment? I'm just letting you know, whenever you use that expression, it's a gross overstatement, exaggeration, because no pain could possibly come even close to the pain of crucifixion, unless you have kidney stone. Anybody here have kidney stone? <laughs> I had kidney stone many times, and it's the worst pain I ever felt, but I don't think it was excruciating like the crucifixion, but you have my sympathy if you, have, if you ever had kidney stone. From Christian tradition, remember, we learned that Apostle Peter was martyred this way around the same time. And he was cruci crucified upside down because he said, don't crucify me like my Lord. I'm not worthy, so crucify me upside down. And this is the Christian tradition that we have. And finally, the third method of torture and execution that was common. Many Christians were turning to human torches to light up Nero's gardens. They were dressed in shirts coated with wax and lit on fire, essentially turning them into giant human candles. Can you imagine the pain of slowly being burned alive? 
You think these methods of torture and execution would cause people to lose their faith, including Timothy? And the answer is overwhelmingly yes. And that's why Paul wrote this letter to Timothy, encouraging him, exhorting him to not lose your faith and accomplish the mission that you have been given as a minister, as an evangelist. And that's the message. So Paul teaches Timothy two things here. Number one, you need to persevere, deal with suffering. Paul doesn't say, I'm going to pray for you so you will not be persecuted and you will not suffer this kind of a persecution, possible death. No. Paul says, it's coming. Expect it. Embrace it. Deal with it as a Christian. And that's Paul's message. And the second lesson that he teaches Timothy through this letter is not only you must suffer, but you must die well. And he gives his life example to imitate him in his death as well. And that is my message for all of you here this morning. It is my job as an elder of this church not to teach you how to live for Christ, but also to die for Christ. Like Paul said, in all things give glory to God, whether you eat, whether you drink. Well, dying is one of those many, many things that Paul says. That's inclusive, all things. So we must die well, like Paul said, Paul commanded, and he does that as well. Now, before we get to that dying part, I want to talk about how Paul encourages Timothy to endure suffering. To do that, turn with me to 2 Timothy chapter 1, and we'll read from verse 2 to 8. And you notice the tenderness of Paul here speaking to Timothy. He says to Timothy, To Timothy, my beloved child. I think he uses the term child here as an expression of affection, of course. Paul is talking to Timothy like a father talking to his beloved son. And also, the reason why he says that, remember, this sounds familiar to you. Remember the apostle John, when he wrote 1 John in chapter 2, he addresses his congregation, the audience of his letter, as my dear little children. And John was older than most people, that's why. And over here, you can see the same thing. Paul here is much older than Timothy, perhaps old enough to be his father. And that's why he uses the term, to Timothy, my beloved child. And he says, grace, mercy, and peace from God the Father and Christ Jesus our Lord. This is a common greeting that Paul uses, grace and mercy. He says, I thank God whom I serve as did my ancestors. And now Paul is speaking of his faith with a clear conscience. As I remember you constantly in my prayers night and day. As I remember your tears. And I want you to know when you're in the ministry for a long time, there are a lot of tears that are shed. A lot of tears of joy and a lot of tears of sorrow. But in this context, I think Paul is talking about the fact that they're separated here. Because look what he says after that. I long to see you. It's been many years since I've seen you last, Timothy, and I miss you. I long for you, and I'm sure you're same, you have the mutual same feelings for me as well. You long to see me as well. That I may be filled with joy. Your presence, Timothy, is joyful to me. That's what Paul is saying. And he says, I am reminded of your sincere faith. And now Paul's talking about Timothy's faith. Recalling Timothy's faith here. A faith that dwell first in your grandmother Lois and your mother Eunice, and now I'm sure dwells in you as well. So what is Paul saying? Paul is saying, Timothy, you have a faith that is in you that is precious, that's been passed down to you from generation to generation. Treasure it. Hold on to it. Keep it. That's what Paul's point is. And you notice here, for this reason, because the faith that you have is so precious, 
I remind you to fan into flame the gift of God. Now, why would he say that? Why does flame need to be fanned? Common sense, obvious, right? Because the flame is getting weaker and it's about to die. And you need to keep the flames alive. So you need to fan it to make the flames stronger. So this suggests, for some reason, Paul knows that Timothy's faith is weakening under the heavy, heavy persecution that I mentioned to you earlier. And this is normal. It's not because Timothy is a coward. I mean, if you were a Christian during that time, would you shrink away? Good chance? I'll say yes. So Paul is saying, you need to keep your flame burning brightly for the kingdom of God. Flame the gift of God that God gave you, which is in you through the laying on of my hands. And I think this suggests that Paul was probably the person that commissioned Timothy into the ministry by laying his hand on him. For God gave us, it says, God gave us a spirit not of fear, but of power and love and self-control. So he's tackling the issue again. I think there is fear, understandably, a spirit of fear in you, Timothy. But God did not give us that. God gave us spirit of power and love and self-control. So God gives you the power and love. I think that love is for, namely, for the glory of God and also for the love of the people that he has called to minister to, to be an evangelist and self-control. So when you're in fear, you need self-control. Don't shrink back from your faith, Timothy. And that's what Paul is saying. And look, and he says, furthermore, therefore, do not be ashamed of the testimony about our Lord. Don't be like all those people who deserted me. They were ashamed of the gospel because proclaiming the gospel could cost your life in a horrific way. So they were ashamed to speak it. Don't be like those people, Timothy. And also know of me, his prisoner, because when you're associated with, with Paul, you're going to come under persecution. That's what I think Paul is saying. Not of me, his prisoner, but share in suffering. You see that? Paul is telling Timothy, you need to share in suffering. Embrace it. It's coming. Don't dodge it. Accept it. For the gospel by the power of God. And the only way you're going to accept suffering as a Christian is by the power of God. And that's what Paul is saying to Timothy here. Furthermore, turn to 2 Timothy chapter 2, verse 8 through 13. And now Timothy appeals to Jesus Christ himself. And he starts off by saying, Remember Jesus Christ risen from the dead. Just invoking the name of Jesus Christ should scream out to Timothy at this point as he's reading the letter, probably with tears in his eyes. Christ Jesus suffered for my salvation. Risen from the dead. Remember, Timothy? Though he suffered loss and he died, he rose again from the dead. The offspring of David, as preached in my gospel, for which I am suffering, for that purpose I suffer, bound with chains as a criminal, but the word of God is not bound. That's beautiful, isn't it? I am bound in chains, but the word of God is not bound. And Timothy, you're not bound, at least not yet. So you continue to preach the word. I think that's what Paul's point is. And therefore, I endure everything for the sake of the elect. That they also may obtain the salvation that is in Christ Jesus with eternal glory. You see, the reason why I endure all suffering is everything is because for the sake of the elect. God has given me a commission to preach the word, to save the elect and it is worth all of my suffering. And you should think the same way, Timothy. 
And look what he says here. And as Paul is gently speaking to him in the beginning, he gets stronger and stronger. He starts commanding Timothy, and he is even warning Timothy here. Look what he says. The saying is trustworthy, for if we have died with him, we will also live with him. So he's saying to Timothy, you know what the word of God says. So if you're willing to die with him, you will also live with him, Timothy. This is a serious matter. And I know you're scared of dying, but you can't be. If you want to live with Christ, that is, you must be willing to die with him. If we endure, we will also reign with him, Timothy. You want to reign with Christ? Isn't that your goal? Isn't that your joy? For that to happen, you must endure all suffering. He's strengthening him through warning. And finally, if we deny him, he also will deny us, Timothy. Don't you dare deny him at this point. Because if you do, if you are faithless, he remains faithful. For he cannot deny himself. So if you go on and deny him and forsake your faith, he's going to deny you because he cannot deny himself. And that's what he's saying. So it's a warning to Timothy as well as an exhortation to remain in faith. Lastly, turn to 2 Timothy chapter 3, verse 10 through 12. Now, you remember, Paul was a mentor to Timothy. Timothy was his disciple. And obviously, Paul taught Timothy everything that he knows, right? And you're going to see Paul recalling that, how I discipled you, Timothy. You remember those days. Let that be an encouragement to you. Let's read what he says. He says, you, Timothy... However, have followed my teaching, my conduct. You saw how I live my life. You, saw, you heard my teaching and you followed it. My aim in life. What aim? For the glory of God, everlasting life. My faith, my patience, my love, my steadfastness. Paul's not bragging here. He's just telling the truth. My persecutions and sufferings that happened to me at Antioch and Iconium and at Lystra, which persecutions I endured, yet from them all the Lord rescued me. Indeed, all who desire to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will be persecuted. So what Paul is saying is, you have seen my life, you have followed my examples, and you know I endured horrific sufferings where I died multiple times. You saw that, Timothy. But through it all, do you remember what happened? God rescued me each and every time for the sake of his mission, his glory. So you need to have strength from that. God will not forsake you. He will give you the strength to endure your suffering as well. So if you are with me, Timothy, if you're going to continue to follow my teaching, my conduct, my aim in life, my faith, my patience, my steadfastness, my love, my persecutions. Know this, you will be persecuted. It's a given. Be prepared. So Paul has sufficiently prepared Timothy to endure suffering, persecution. And now we're going to get finally to the text, our text. I'll read from, well, okay, I'll read verse 5 to start off with. And you notice this is a command from Paul to Timothy. It says, As for you, always be sober minded, endure suffering, do the work of an evangelist, fulfill your ministry. Now go back to chapter 4. Verse 1, you listen to the tone of Paul's voice here. 
I charge you in the presence of God and of Christ Jesus. The word here, charge, invokes another word. You can replace it, charge, I command you in the presence of God. As God is my witness, Christ Jesus our Lord, who is to judge the living and the dead. And you see the word he used, he's the judge. It's a warning again to Timothy. He's a judge of the living and the dead. And by his appearing and his kingdom, preach the word. And now, going to verse 6 now. In the previous verse 5, Paul commands Timothy to be sober-minded, endure suffering, do the work of an evangelist, fulfill your ministry. For, so there's a connecting word here, for. I am already being poured out as a drink offering, and the time of my departure has come. So what Paul is saying to Timothy here is, you need to fulfill your ministry because I am fulfilling my ministry. So just as you have followed my example, you need to do the same thing as well. And that is not only to suffer, but to die in a such a way, because that's what Paul says in verse 6. For I am already being poured out as a drink offering, and the time of my departure has come. And he's not speaking of departing from Rome or from the prison, but he's talking about departing from this world. He knows that he's going to die very, very soon. Why does he use this imagery here? Poured out as a drink offering. In the Old Testament, when they made sacrifices, this was the final offering. So what they do is they will offer first the burnt offering and the grain offering. And finally, the last offering they make is the drink offering. So what Paul is saying here is, I have endured all kinds of suffering. My life was a living sacrifice, pleasing unto the Lord. And I want you to, you know what, you, you can turn if you want, or you can just listen to what I'm going to say here. I'm just, I'm just going to list all the suffering that Apostle Paul endured in his ministry so far. 2 Corinthians chapter 11, verse 20 through 28 Paul says, with far greater labors, far more imprisonments, with countless beatings, and often near death. Five times I received at the hands of the Jews the forty lashes, less one. Three times I was beaten with rods. Once I was stoned. Three times I was shipwrecked. A night and a day I was drift at sea, on frequent journeys, in danger from rivers, danger from robbers, danger from my own people, danger from Gentiles, danger in the city, danger in the wilderness, danger at sea, danger from false brothers, in toil and hardship, through many a sleepless night, in hunger and thirst, often without food, in cold and exposure, and apart from other things, there is the daily pressure on me of my anxiety for all the churches. These are just summary of all the suffering that is endured, which he offered as a living sacrifice unto the Lord. But there is one more sacrifice that needs to be made. And again, I said earlier, he's speaking about his death. Even in his death, the remaining Part of his life will be sacrificed completely to the Lord. That's what it means to be a Christian. And that's what Paul is telling Timothy here. Now, Paul is going to tell Timothy three things here about his life and how he should follow the example of his life. And in verse 7, Paul basically tells Timothy and all the readers including us, what it means to be a Christian. Three things. Number one, he says, verse 7, I have fought the good fight. I want you to know, my brothers and sisters, that as a Christian, it is your duty 
to fight the good fight. Turn with me to Ephesians chapter 6, verse 10 through 13. So one of the ways you can stand firm in your faith and not lose your faith is to fight the good fight. Finally, be strong in the Lord and in the strength of his might. Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the schemes of the devil. For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers of the present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. Now this sounds like something from a like Star Wars, Star Wars movie, right? Battle between the forces of good and evil. But this is true. This is not sci-fi, made up. I think so many people think of Satan as a sort of, they believe in Satan, that he existed, but he's kind of out of the picture. He's not bothering anybody. He's up somewhere messing with unbelievers. But that's not true. As Paul says, you need to put on the whole armor of God because we're not fighting against flesh and blood here. There's a greater power forces that are over this present age, darkness against the spiritual forces of evil that are all around you, attacking you to destroy your faith to destroy your marriages, to destroy your children's lives. And the sad thing is like so many people are oblivious to this fact and sleepwalk through their Christian walk. You don't have to turn there in 1 Peter chapter 5, verse 8. This is what Peter says about Satan. He says, be sober-minded, be watchful, your adversary, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion, seeking someone to devour. You see what he's saying? Don't be a prey. Because Satan is very actively seeking, prowling in the churches, in Christian homes, to seek whom he can devour. So we need to be aware of the spiritual warfare that's taking place in order to protect yourselves against his powers. And I'll finish the rest of the verses in Ephesians. And Paul says, Therefore, take up the whole armor of God that you may be able to withstand in the evil day and having done all to stand firm. So it's obvious. We're living in the evil days now, not just Timothy during the Roman persecution. Satan is actively trying to destroy our faith. And we need to be watchful. We need to fight the good fight if you want to be true Christians and to keep our faith. Second imagery here Paul uses is what? I have finished the race. Some people might think, you know, being a Christian means making a choice, right? You hear that a lot. I made a choice to choose Christ, to follow him, to love him, and to worship him. And that's true. In fact, remember Joshua spoke to his people. He said, choose this day whom you will serve. God or idol? So choosing is the right thing to do. But sadly, a lot of people out there, they make the choice, one-time decision of their life. And you ask them, how do you know that you're going to heaven? Well, I joined the church 20 years ago. I made a choice. I, I made a profession of faith back then. 
I don't go to church anymore. It's been decades, but you know, I'm sure God will let me in because I made a choice. I joined the church. I got baptized. I did all that. So Christian life is not a one-time decision-making, one-time commitment, but it's a lifelong activity of running and the race until you finish the race. Turn with me to 1 Corinthians chapter 9, verse 25 to 27, and Paul talks about that. Paul says, Every athlete exercises self-control in all things, and they do it to receive a perishable wreath, but we an imperishable. So I do not run aimlessly. I do not box as one beating the air, but I discipline my body and keep it under control, lest after preaching to others, I myself should be disqualified. You see here what Paul is saying here? When Paul says, I discipline my body, he's not saying I'm a bodybuilder, I want six-pack, I want muscles. That's not what he's saying at all. He's talking about his spiritual body. Because he says, lest after I preach, after preaching to others, I myself should be disqualified. If Paul is fighting the good faith, if he's running the race and is afraid of being disqualified, shouldn't we also work out our salvation with fear and trembling, like Paul said? Are you exercising your spiritual muscles? How do you do that? Well, do you read the Bible? Do you pray to God regularly? Those are some of the exercises. Now, let me just give you an example here. The good thing about the Christian race is this. You don't have to finish first to win the prize. Imagine, let's say, you, you want to run in Olympics, right? And you're really fast and you're really good. But in order to get there to the Olympics, first of all, it's every four years, right? And it's not easy, so you have to beat out all the other competitors in your nation, like in the United States. Even if you do, if you, let's say you qualify for the Olympics, then you have to compete against all the elite athletes of all different countries, the best of the world that has to offer, and you have to compete against them. And to even have a chance to win the medal, you have to qualify in qualifying heats. You have to be the top two of each leg of race, right? You guys know that. And then, finally, if you, if you make it, make the final cut, you have, is it eight people that run the race? You have to beat out all those guys to win the gold, or even a silver or bronze. In a Christian race, you can come last. Doesn't matter. You win the prize. Sounds really easy, right? Just have to finish the race. Not, not, not easy at all. In fact, salvation is not easy. In fact, it's absolutely impossible. Do you guys remember what Jesus said to the rich young ruler? Remember the rich young ruler came to Jesus, kneeled before him humbly and said, Teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? And Jesus gives him the straight answer. Sell everything that you have. Give it to the poor, and you follow me, and you will store treasures in heaven where rust and moth cannot touch. There's no thieves that can steal, and you have your treasure in heaven forever, and you have me. And the rich young ruler sadly walked away from this invitation of salvation. And Jesus said, it is easier for a camel to enter the eye of the needle than a rich person to enter the kingdom of God. And the disciples heard that statement and they were shocked and they cried out, then who can be saved? And do you remember Jesus' answer? He didn't say, relax, I'm just talking about really, really rich people like the rich young ruler right there. 
You guys don't have that kind of money. You don't have to worry about that. No. He doesn't say that. In fact, he confirms what the disciples said, and he says, with man it is impossible, but with God all things are possible. You see what he's saying? Salvation can only be achieved, received from my giving. It's 100% my work, my Father's work. It is impossible to be saved unless I save. So, running the race, it's not easy, but all you have to do is finish. That's why Paul says, keep fighting the good fight. Keep running, Timothy, and to everybody else who reads this book, this letter. Don't give up. And there will be moments in your life where you want to walk away from the race and be disqualified. In difficult times, when you suffer loss in your life, but never give up. Cry out to the Lord. Tell Jesus that I can't go on anymore. Will you pick me up and carry me to the finish line? I think he will do that for you. And lastly, it's my, oh, it's gone. Okay. It's okay. Um, the third thing he says here is this, I have kept the faith. That is kind of broad. I have kept the faith. What do you think he means by I have kept the faith? I think what he means is that he could have said, I have fought the good fight. I have finished the race. Therefore, I have kept the faith. I really believe that. Because I think what Paul is saying here to Timothy is keeping the faith means that you fight the good fight of faith all throughout your life. Keeping the faith means that you finish the race. That's all you got to do. Fight the good fight of faith. Finish the race. Thereby, you keep your faith. You don't lose your faith. And finally, in verse 8, it says, henceforth. Now, henceforth is a kind of unique word. Do, do most of you guys use the word henceforth a lot? I hope not, because if you do, you are weird. <laughs> I've lived a long life, and I have never heard anybody use the word henceforth, ever. Never. But, this is the, but the reason why I bring it up to you is because this is a very fitting word here. Because henceforth basically means from this point on, from now on. Now think about that in this context. It says, from now on, there is laid up for me the crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, will award to me on that day, and not only to me, but also to all who have loved this peering. You see what he's saying here? All the stuff I mentioned to you, Timothy, in the whole letter, not just this past few verses, about enduring your suffering, standing firm in your faith, no matter how difficult it might get. It is all worth it because henceforth from this time on, when my life is finally poured out in the altar of God, there is this joy that awaits me. Paul is so sure of this that he writes it like this. What does he say? He says, there is laid up for me the crown of righteousness. He's talking about his salvation. He's going to see Christ, what he's, he has already seen, Christ greet him in heaven, saying, well done, my good and faithful servant. Welcome, come into my joy forever, where there is fullness of joy and everlasting pleasures forevermore at my right hand awaits you. Well done, Paul. But you notice, he could have said tenderly, saying, the righteous Father or righteous Christ, your Lord and Savior, 
we're all were to me, but he says, the righteous judge. And I think the reason why he uses the word righteous judge here is because, again, he's talking to Timothy and all Christians. This is a warning. Again, when Paul is writing this, he knows how severe the persecution is. And he's saying, instead of fearing being burned alive, which is a pretty bad thing, or being crucified by the Roman soldiers, or being eaten alive by wild animals, and perhaps seeing your family get eaten by lions and wild beasts. Instead of fearing that, you need to fear the judge. Remember what Jesus said about that. Jesus said, don't fear man. Because all they can do is what? Kill the body. They can cause you a lot of pain and suffering, but that's all they can do. But fear God, who can both destroy body and soul. And that's what Paul is saying. Timothy and the rest of you Christians, you need to keep your faith, stand firm, because you need to fear the judge. Because in the end... The judge will determine your eternal destiny. Whether you spend all your eternity in joy forever or in suffering forever. And no matter how much your suffering is now, it's nothing compared to eternal hell and God's judgment. So you need to fear the judge. Please, Timothy, understand this truth. And you notice in the ending, he says, the righteous judge will award to me on that day, and not only to me, but also to all. These are all faithful Christians who are in Christ who have loved his appearing. And I love that ending there where he says, who loved his appearing. Why? Because that's what it's all about. Christian journey is about love, right? I know Paul says, fight the good fight but you're fighting the good fight against the devil. But ultimately, you can fight the good fight, finish the race because of love. Love for what? Love for whom? It's love for Christ, your Lord and Savior, who is cheering you on as you struggle in your journey, in your race. And as you fall, look up to Christ, who bled and died for you on the cross so that you can finish your race. And that's what Paul is saying here. If you love to see him glorified and magnified, you will finish the race. You will finish the race out of love. Before I finish, just some simple application here before we go. Real quick. As I said before, I know from my own experiences, as I was preparing this lesson, I was tempted by Satan. You know, Satan was saying, Terry, you got this. You know, why are you, you know, reviewing the material again? You did it already five times already. Relax. Play some game. Watch TV. And I was like, no. No, I'm not going to do that. I understand being a Christian is hard. It is amazing to me how even in my life, I can play game for like two hours straight, and, you know, I don't even know where the time went. And sometimes I struggle to read the Bible for 20 minutes. Why is that? The answer is simple. Because I'm a sinner just like you. And if you guys are honest with yourself, you'll say the same thing, right? It's not easy for me to be in the Word of God. It's not easy for me to pray every day earnestly to God. Sometimes it's not easy to confess my sin because of my pride, my arrogance, my sin. I get that. That's why we need to have Paul like this, who says, follow my examples, imitate me in the way I live my life. That's the only way. And cry out to the Lord, be merciful to me, Lord, the sinner. I want to do the right things, but I just don't have the power to do it because I'm a sinner. God will honor that prayer. And continue to trust him and lean on him and be persistent. Fight the good fight.
Some days you don't feel like reading the Bible, just read it anyway. Because sometimes joy comes, enlightenment comes when you obey. Because if you wait until you feel like it, you'll never come. Satan will make sure you're distracted for 10,000 other things in your life. So don't be a victim. Continue to fight the good fight. And again, finish the race looking towards Jesus Christ, your Lord and Savior, who will be faithful and give you the strength to finish. Let us pray. Dear Heavenly Father, we just want to thank you so much for your word that was written in Timothy 2nd, chapter 4, verse 5 through 8. What an encouraging testimony of faith. May we imitate Apostle Paul and all those who followed after him to be diligent in our journey, in our walk with you, to finish the race so that we can win the prize that you have promised all of us who are looking forward to your appearing again in your second coming. Until then, hold us fast by your Holy Spirit's power. For the sake of your great name, we ask all these things in Christ Jesus. Amen. Lastly, benediction time. So it's only fitting that I would do the benediction from 2 Timothy chapter 4. So stand with me as we end with the benediction. May our great God who rescued Apostle Paul from every evil and brought him safe and sound into his everlasting kingdom do the same for, for, us, for all of us as well. As we continue to fight the good fight of faith, continue to run the race set before us, and continue to keep our faith in Christ Jesus. Amen.